Hey folks, in this episode of the podcast, I get to sit down with my friend Curtis Jones, our outdoor photographer to the north. This is Twitter. Hey, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johns. And today I'm sitting down with Curtis Jones. He's an outdoor photographer based up north of, of uh, the United States in California. And Curtis, since I've known him, has been one of the most hardworking and traveled photographers, even during the pandemic, traveled photographers uh, just that, that I know. He's running around doing great photos and just enjoying the outdoors with his cameras, sometimes to the detriment of his cameras. We're gonna find out all, <laughs> we're gonna find out all about that in this episode. Welcome to the show, Curtis Jones. How's it going? Hey, thanks for having me back. Uh, things are good. Things are good. I'm happy you to be here. Your wings have been clipped for a minute. Like we were talking about in in our little pre-interview session there, you I feel like I'm the intrepid photographer that cornered you in an airport between destinations. And luckily, you know, you gave me a bit of time to kind of chat about what you've been up to. That's what I feel like. Is that is that the reality? Are you kind of like that photographer that just you're home and you barely unpack and then you're you you know, get some fresh underwear and you're off you're off to the next destination? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's an ideal world. That's an ideal scenario, blue sky scenario there. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, some days you're getting your underwear out of an airport vending machine. Oh, but, wow. um, Yeah, I mean, that's when things are going well, when, when I'm busy, that's essentially what it's like. You're really moving from job to job or trip to trip. Uh, and there's not a ton of downtime. This last couple of years has been a bit strange, but uh, um, I, the last maybe eight or nine months have been quite busy. It's only been maybe uh, in the month of October, really, where I've been settled somewhat uh, and doing like boring things like house renovations and things like that. So yeah, 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 yeah definitely a lot of go, go, go. Yeah, well, let's talk about that a little bit. For the folks that may not know about the type of work you do, the when we first the first interview I did with you, which I'll link I'll link to that in the blog post for this episode. The first interview I did with you, you were on your way. I want to say to Antarctica. Was it Antarctica? It was someplace, someplace snowy and 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 and, and uh, arid. I don't know where was it. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. It was someplace on the planet. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I was heading to Antarctica at that point. I, that might've been my first trip or second, but um, I think it was the second. Yeah. Cause you were, you yeah. were, I think in the interview where you were talking about some learnings that you were going to incorporate into that trip. Oh yeah. 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 So yeah, that, that was Antarctica. Uh, I think though, that is the year that I bought, I blocked, uh, Antarctica and the Arctic back to back. And wow. so like ending the season in Antarctica working down there and then getting on a plane and over the course of like three um three and a half four days getting up to the Arctic uh so getting like basically blow the Antarctic circle and then crossing over to the Arctic circle so why uh, what what is it about those particular areas that draws draws you in as a photographer uh it's I it's available yeah <laughs> nobody's nobody's there no, it, um, it's where, I mean, I started taking photography seriously. I started really enjoying photography 
while I lived in the north in northern Canada. So I was living and working up there for over a decade. And that's really where I kind of discovered photography. And it's definitely where I started my career. So a lot of my inspiration, a lot of how I see the world, the value I hold in photography and why I do it in the first place kind of stems from that environment and, uh, and what, I, what I value about those places. I also really just enjoy stark, desolate, kind of hard or unforgiving places mm-hmm. um, because when you do find things that are warm and inviting and welcoming and pleasant, uh, I, I guess it's just like even nicer. Um, and, uh, and I like feeling kind of tiny, you know, in these big spaces, these forever horizons. So yeah, all of that. I mean, there's also the, there's also something to say for like momentum of career. You start shooting a certain style, a certain way, whether you enjoy it or not, if you, you know, you go far enough down that path, uh, with the career like photography or maybe any kind of creative career, you you kind of get you kind of get hired for the work that you've done, and it takes you know five, six, seven years to really build up that portfolio and start getting hired and and wanted for jobs, and then so it's a little harder than the switch out of that, I guess. And yeah. uh, usually, if you want to like change gears, you're looking at another couple of years, you know, three or whatever many years kind of feel out a new area feel out new clients and things like that not that i mean i love what i do i love these places but definitely in the beginning when i was sort of shopping around a little bit more about the kind of photography i wanted to try as a career um starting in the arctic and most of my work being cold and desolate um and harsh and things like that i think that's what caught a lot of people's attention and so uh and that mixed with the fact that i really enjoyed it uh, yeah, it was just sort of that snowball. And it's got to be it's got to be, you know, from a from a, a market sizing or marketing standpoint, it's a, there's a limited or a finite amount of people that are doing that kind of work or that are willing to put themselves in those uncomfortable situations to get those photos. So your market, your market has got to be large because you're you're a sample size of one, you know, or just a few people. Is that is that accurate? There's only a handful of people that, that yeah. travel to those remote destinations. I mean, it's like everything. I think when you're inside the circle, it feels like it's crowded. There's a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but looking from the outside or comparing it to other genres or, or you know, parts of the industry, uh, weddings and families and newborns and pets or whatever, uh, or just portrait photography, it certainly is a lot smaller. It's probably, you know, very small compared to what most photographers are doing and, and working at working on in their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's definitely some of that. And then there is a whole sort of skill set that comes along with working in these areas, especially if you're working with smaller like local communities and uh a lot of what i do is going out so i go outside of the towns and i'm you know i'm on the land camping and uh being out there in nature uh so a lot of the guiding and sort of the adventure sport background really comes in handy and so a lot of times i think that it's a network knowing certain people over like i said 10 or 12 years of living up there Mm -hmm. um that helps and you know you always sort of uh keep in touch and keep those things going like like we all do. But then there's also sort of the the part of it that people just know they can rely on the fact that you if they send you out into one of these environments, you know, number one, they don't have to look after you for the most part. You can take care of yourself and probably take help take care of like anyone else that's out there. And number two, they're going to get footage. Right. So yeah. um, those are I, 
I, I don't, I'm not one of these photographers that doesn't think that my stuff's not good enough or anything like that, but I do definitely think that a lot of the times I'm hired for this kind of work because consistently over eight or 10 years, I, you know, I'll bring back footage, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, and I'll, and I'll bring myself back. So Yeah, well, it's called it's, it's, it's being a professional, right? So not only yeah. it's not just, hey, you, you have the ability to buy a plane ticket or you know, a sled dog ticket or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's not just that you can get yourself to to these remote locations and survive there. You have to yeah. get to those locations and and have the survival skills to be able to keep your, you know, bag of water and meat and bone in a condition that you can then create saleable artwork. That's no that's no easy trick, right? I mean, some of these situations I recall over the past year or so, it was a little tenuous there, right? Especially during the pandemic and lockdowns and and yeah. all this stuff. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like some of these more tenuous situations where it was kind of like, oh, did I write the, make the right decisions? Uh, am I going to be able to make it out of this? Yeah, there's there's this last year has been a kind of a strange one. Uh, it was really hard to get into the territory, uh, you know, northern Canada mm -hmm. and uh, in Nunavut where I, I work most of the time. And that's that's because of all the public health policy and stuff like that that had to be in place to protect these small communities um, that could easily get overwhelmed. Uh, the healthcare system there is just not you know what it would be in larger centers. Uh, so getting in is is first thing, and then while you're up there working in that environment where you just scheduling and the logistics of planning things, uh, flying into these remote communities to go out on the land with some of these hunters uh, and fishermen and things like that. It's, uh, you know, in a good year, you have weather and just scheduling conflicts to deal with. Uh, in a pandemic year, there's all the pop up, you know, COVID stuff that comes along with that, uh, you know, last minute closures or or towns not wanting people to visit. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot. It was a lot more nuanced uh, for sure. Getting into the smaller towns and then getting with like hunters to get out on the land and spend seven or ten or two weeks together. Uh, seven, 10 days, two weeks and get back, you know, uh, and do it again in another different town. So we wanted to make sure that we were communicating like 150% all the time to everyone involved, all stakeholders and things like that uh, for those reasons. But then, so that's one side. And then there's like the actual trips themselves for whatever reason this year were a little bit, well, no, I should say it was about a 50-50. One trip was probably one of the best Arctic trips I've ever had. It felt like a vacation. It's exactly what, you know, I had over the course of two weeks, just, I don't know, daily or multiple times a day, those moments of like, I can't believe this is my job. I can't mm -hmm. believe that, you know, somebody wants me to be here. They want the footage, the video and the photography and the drone work, and they're going to pay me to do this. Like, this is crazy. Cause like, that's, that's that, like, I'm living my dream moment. Yeah. And then that was like bookend, like, right. The next trip was one of the worst trips that I've done in 15 years of like doing this kind of stuff. Uh, and that what was made it, like, what made it the worst trip? I mean, were, were you like frostbite or, you know, did your, you know, sled dogs get attack? start going into attack mode? What happened? No sled dogs involved in this one. This was okay. uh, going out with uh, a fisherman uh, to a lake that uh you know we were ice fishing so it was march yeah like mid-march ish which is still quite cold 
but it starts to warm up a little bit. You can get nice days. And we we were trying to get to this community and hook up with this fisherman for you know most of the season. I was up there for four months. And like I was saying earlier, logistically, it just wasn't really coming together. And then finally, we kind of just pushed uh, for this one weekend and said, you know, we're just going to do it whether or not, you know, we'll see what happens when we get there. Because uh, worst case scenario, sometimes some of the work is just going and meeting with people and sitting and having coffee and spending a few days in the community and getting to know, you know what I mean? So you're not just flying in and, you know, taking mm-hmm. pictures and shooting video and stuff like that. So I was like, if it's a meet and greet over for three or four days, that's fine too. So we flew in, uh, but the forecast was like biggest storm of the year uh, for like the day we were going to leave. So we were sitting in the hotel and thinking to myself, well, there's no way we're going to go out because it's going to be crazy tomorrow you know, minus 60 degrees Celsius and then wind chill on top of that and blowing snow there. It's just not going to be feasible. You can't work in those conditions. Nobody wants to go out and fish in those conditions. Uh, but no, I mean, this guy was, <laughs> this guy wow. was a rock star. Yeah. He loaded up his sled and, uh, you know, threw us in the sled and we, we, yeah, we, we headed on out into the blizzard and, uh, it was crazy. And it, it's, it was one of those things where I was with a guy and it was his first time doing this kind of stuff. Uh, he was there uh, with me kind of helping. And um, he was looking to me for sort of that comfort of, you know, I've never done this before, so I, I feel scared and I think I'm going to die. But you've done lots of this kind of stuff before, you know, so just tell me it's going to be okay. And this is normal to feel this way. And I was like, I can't tell you that this time this feels like <laughs> This feels crazy to me. And like that for him, just like totally, uh, that was bad advice. Um, but uh, it was eight hours on the snowmobile, heading out into a blizzard, couldn't see anything, sort of just lying down, you know, in the fetal position almost, uh, face down. So we didn't get any frostbite uh, on the face, but we were totally covered. I had so many layers on. And uh, at one point, I noticed that we had taken a detour and that went on for about 30 minutes and I wasn't sure what was happening. And then, you know, the hunter stopped and he's like, yeah, we, you know, I thought I saw a polar bear. So I was like chasing that down for a bit. And I was like, yeah, why not? Let's see if we can find a polar bear in a blizzard on our way, you know, on an eight hour <laughs> trek out to a pond <laughs> on the That's... middle of Northern Baffin Island. That sounds, that sounds like a, I don't know, a cliche. Yeah, it's like trying to find yeah. a polar bear in a blizzard. <laughs> it's 100% that exactly where that joke comes from, polar bear in a blizzard. Wow. Uh, but this guy cut the trail in there. It was, there's some, there was like some open water concerns. It was a bad ice year. It was a really bad ice year actually in the north. Uh, but he put that trail in. And like I said, it was an eight or 10 hour journey to get to the lake. And then like all of these trips, you get there and you throw all your gear in sort of an emergency shelter, a hut kind of thing that sometimes the hunters and trappers associations put out there, Um, which we did. But the first thing you have to do then is get to work drilling holes and, uh, you know, putting nets down and things like that. So it's like 10 hours of horrible blizzard uh, travel just to get to the location to actually start the work. Uh, And it was cold. Yeah, they were cold. The hunt, like the fishermen were cold. Uh, you know, the gear was really struggling. I've used Canon cameras pretty much exclusively, and I haven't. They're like beasts, tanks that really haven't failed me often. Uh, but they were having a hard time, especially with video and things like that. Um, yeah. 
and then there's just all that. Like I can't use mitts and gloves. I've tried so many different kinds of gloves. Uh, I just prefer to have big jackets and big warm mitts, and then I just go barehanded basically for as long as I can, and then stick my hands back in my. But uh, yeah, I think I I may have like left them out a little too long a couple times on this trip, and then on the trip back, I mean that was. It did get a little easier after a few days. It started to warm up a bit. Um, but then the trip back, the fisherman was so psyched. He had so much fish. And we went out on this, this it's called a Kalmatik, um, that they drag behind the snowmobile. And so we were riding in this thing on the way out. And it was super bumpy. And then on the way back, he had it loaded with all the fish that he got. Mm. So we're like, okay, well, I guess we're just going to like get in a, there's going to be a different arrangement. We'll, you know, there's a couple other hunters over here. Maybe we'll ride back with them or something, but nope. Uh, he just kind of tied all those fish down. And then we got on top of this sort of like caravan, the circus caravan of stuff, of frozen char, uh, and rodeoed like back to town another eight or nine hours. Um, and yeah, it was, there was like a, a few scary moments. Uh, cause he was like, he was pretty, pretty excited to get back to town uh i think that's the thing about these sorts of trips is that you go out there and you work and it's cold and it's not you know entirely pleasant all the time and then but once the work is done and you're heading back to town it just feels incredible to be like on your way home yeah. uh but this guy was catching air like we were i was flying off of the sled the whole way back <sighs> that's kind of that sounds like a dream like a literal dream like when you, when, how long are you out there at any like what's what's the longest stretch of time that you've been kind of on one of these assignments uh, well, it's never really too long. I would say a week is pretty normal. Two weeks, if you're getting like bad weather and stuff like that, and you're doing a lot of rescheduling, or if you're trying to do multiple smaller trips, it's not often that it goes more than two weeks, usually. Okay. Um, but if it's, if it's, even if it's like a week or so, like how that's gotta that's like the the Curtis Jones diet I can imagine just like you go you go out there you're eating fish or whatever and your body is just like you know, reverting yeah. to its to its natural primal state you know you're not eating McDonald's and junk and, and drinking Starbucks and all that you're only eating healthy food for this stretch of time do you notice a change in your in your physiology from when you left to when you returned? Oh, always. Yeah, you definitely do. I mean, you're eating, you are eating pretty clean. It's, it's 90% of what you're eating out there is probably what you're hunting or catching or whatever. Uh, you do, I mean, yeah, you bring a lot of other stuff like, you know, chocolate and nuts and uh, oatmeal and things like that. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely, yeah, you're not eating much uh, takeaway or junk. No uh, processed otherwise. food. And not a lot. And I mean, sometimes you'll have like canned goods like canned soups and things like that but it's mostly i mean um anything would have a lot of weight in it like that not often but we do have a lot of dehydrated meals which are pretty high in sodium sometimes just as like emergency stuff mm -hmm. um but yeah it's a it's a pretty lean diet of fish and coffee basically wow but, would you uh, would you recommend one of those trips because you're leaving you you still lead workshops right am i am i correct in that are you still doing that oh yeah um but still doing workshops uh we just did we got to do one this summer in Newfoundland, which was great because uh, the province opened up again for travel and all that kind of fun stuff. So mm -hmm. we did get to do one. But yeah, yes. I mean, it's been a it's been a while for international stuff. 
Yeah. But uh, the uh, the international workshops, I'm are pretty sure going ahead again now. Like, yeah. So my next international workshops not until uh, June. June. Yeah. And we'll, we'll link to your website for folks that want to sign up for those. And I was thinking I was it was kind of tongue in cheek me saying the, the Curtis Jones diet because it's kind of like if you're slightly overweight or want to get into shape, you know, and you love photography, this seems like the ideal kind of putting yourself or stressing yourself while also coming away with good photos. Just go on one of these adventures and you're going to eat what you're going to eat, but you're going to come away with good photos. Would you would you agree with that? Uh, I, I wouldn't, I would never sell that as a workshop. My, <laughs> That's why I'm the marketer, shirts. man. I am the marketer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. Um, I do like with our workshops, I, yeah. Uh, so two things. One, if you wanted to challenge yourself physically and come away with like incredible, like whatever, once in a lifetime photos, a trip like that for sure. Yeah. will do it. Um, you, obviously you have to know your limitations and you have to go with certified guides and all that kind of stuff. And this, this kind of work that I'm doing is work for the hunters and the fishermen themselves. So I'm not, I'm not bringing in clients or anything like that out there. Uh, this is, this is a different kind of work. It's, um, but you can have similar experiences all over the world where you get more of a, it's, I guess, more of a cultural photo workshop than it is landscape or, or portrait or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, totally. And then the second thing is that even our workshops that are actually designed to bring people around and see landscapes and have a good time and interact with each other and, and, and slightly more vacation-y, I guess, uh, you, I'm still getting people up at three o'clock in the morning and shooting until, you know, well after sunset every day for six or eight days. <laughs> and uh, you're, you're going to be hiking. You know, I, I, tr we try to make it so that it's accessible to everyone. So we keep the hikes to 30 minutes within car kind of th like you can park. And usually there's something within 30 minutes of where we park for everyone, mm -hmm. but then there's always going to be, and the reason why we tend to run, uh, the workshops with more than one instructor is so if we have like say three, that's kind of perfect because then there's three different options for different levels. I guess of physicality, and the yeah. the great thing about the, the that is we get a lot of people who are a little bit older and maybe you know not really sure about themselves uh, physically being in these natural places and going on these little you know somewhat more gritty hikes, um, a little bit more off trail sometimes, and so they come to these workshops not necessarily worried about the photography side of things, but worried about whether or not they can physically stay up to keep uh, keep pace. And, uh, you know, within a couple of days, they're leading the pack, right? They're having so much fun. And that's, that's kind of like the big win for me is I love it when people have these light bulb moments when they're taking photos and they finally get a concept like, you know, shooting a, a longer exposure or star trails or whatever it happens to be. That's awesome. And that's like definitely one of the reasons why I love doing it. But I think I like that even more. I like it when people surprise themselves, when they're willing to take a bit of a chance physically and just make themselves a little bit uncomfortable, like not dangerously so, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, where normally if they weren't there with that group and had all that support and, and whatnot, they might stay next to the car instead of heading off trail for 15 minutes to see something different and completely unique. Um, so that's that's a big part of like our sort of our mission with the with the workshops in Newfoundland for sure.
And how, how do you handle how do you handle safety? And, you know, worst case scenario, you have, like you said, you may have older, older people on the adventure and someone has some sort of condition that, you know, you may not have known about that gets triggered while they're away from civilization. How do, how do you handle that? Well, usually, like I said, with these workshops, we're pretty close to to most uh, modern you know, health facilities. We're not, we're not really going too far from towns uh, or cell service. I mean, there are going to be places with dead zones and things like that. Or like I said, we may have to hike uh, 30 plus minutes back to get to a car. And then maybe there's like another, I don't know, 30, 60 minutes to get to a, a clinic or a, a nursing station or something like that. But by and large, it's, we're not going too far off grid for these kinds of workshops. Yeah. Um, I personally, anyways, I'm not taking people, you know, way out, like eight hours out by snowmobile <laughs> across the Arctic ocean, yeah. uh, for a photo workshop. Um, but then if we do have emergency situations, um, you know, I, I personally have my wilderness first aid certification and then usually there's going to be at least one other person that has some first aid. Um, and maybe it won't be a wilderness first aid or anything like that, but some level of first aid. And we make sure that everybody knows that at the beginning, we ask, we encourage people to divulge, you know, privately to us as leaders, if they have health concerns or issues that they think we should know about. Um, obviously we're not going to force anybody to say anything, but if someone's diabetic and, you know, they can let us know that'll help out a great deal. Yeah. Uh, if we notice them being a little off or sluggish or confused, right? Uh, same thing, you know, I'm usually the first one to admit, like, I have a bad left knee and I'm probably going to trip over every second rock. If you see me out there and I'm bleeding, you know, it, I don't mind if you ask if I'm okay, but I'm usually fine. So I really encourage people to openly talk about when they're uncomfortable as well so that we can I want to check in every day, multiple times a day if I can, with most people uh, yeah. to make sure that they're doing okay. But yeah, in that, you know, hap we luckily, knock on wood, haven't had, we had a couple like mishaps and missteps and people falling and things like that, uh, but nothing too serious, luckily, um, so yeah. far. So. Well, that's good. That's good. You know, the... And, and that's just being a good host, right? You're just, you know, being attentive to the people that have entrusted you with their well-being and taking them into a place that they haven't been before, you know, for the for the purpose of creating good photos. Yeah, of course. You know, if I if I had a peanut allergy, I want to disclose that to you so that you don't give me a bag of mi mixed nuts, you know, as a snack that has peanuts in there while we're out in the middle of nowhere. And then. There we go. You know, break out the what do you call what do you call it? The, the little shot that's sticking your leg. The, the the pulp fiction pen. Yeah, the, the yeah. epipen. Yeah, the epipen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we and we carry like I have a first aid kit that carries a bunch of that stuff too. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. How do you plan for this stuff, Curtis? I'm I'm curious. Like, look, you know, looking at the shots on your website. So, and I encourage people to go check out the website. We'll link to it um, in the in the blog post and the show notes or and the description in the YouTube video, but planning you know i recently did a, an, an interview with a photographer who he's a landscape photographer and one of the things he said was 
a good you need to put a percentage on it but a good percentage of the what goes into making a great photo is the planning part of making that photo and he mentioned tools like photographers ephemeris and photo pills and those sorts of things and just getting on you know Flickr and looking to see what other people have done and of course instagram and all that is that in your bag of tricks too? Like when you're when like when you're not leading a workshop, when you're just Curtis going out there to make some of these iconic images, are you doing your homework? You know, the night before, weeks before, saying, "Okay, we want the Milky Way right there. We want this. Therefore, yeah. we need to be there at this time." Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that going on. Uh, I I don't I haven't yet uh, done a workshop in a place that I haven't been at least twice and spent multiple days and nights there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's number one for me is I usually scout the location a couple times if possible well in advance um, of when I plan on running the workshop so that it's because it's it's funny like yeah definitely photo pills and things like that those apps and Flickr and Instagram and figuring out technically where I can bring my clients uh, so they can get the Milky Way or the sunrise with that perfect arch or C stack or whatever at that time of day hundred percent but i'm pretty sure like i feel comfortable and confident in it's not even so much my ability uh to teach but in the landscape itself that people if i just bring them to these locations they're gonna find something interesting to shoot right that's priority number one is to bring them somewhere camera or no camera where they they just kind of like take a step back for a second you know just stop for a second and see where they are and and something's going to call their attention now there's always going to be a a few people who want that shot they saw my website or they want that shot on instagram and they'll show me and i'm like yeah i can get that for you 100 we're going to do that and that's where like the the apps and the instagram and the Flickr and the google searches and everything come in handy for sure but then also uh there's (laughs) more importantly than all that stuff what i've learned over the years is you got to know where the next bathroom stop's going to be. If there's going to be enough parking at these locations, you know, what's the hike in like at sunset, but what's it like on the way back out in the dark? Does everybody have a headlamp? And if not, am I carrying five extra ones? Um, when is high tide? Cause we're crossing a small stream that, but you know, runs out into the ocean, which is not a big deal right now, but four hours from now when we come back, are people going to be up to their waist and, you know, ocean water. So a lot of that is actually the, the planning. Um, that, that practical, logical, uh, it, you know, my biggest, biggest uh, concern a lot of times when we're out here is uh, I'm, co- well, I'm constantly checking the weather, like just constantly. But uh, second to that is can we find somewhere to eat with 15 plus people that can mm. get us in and out before sunset? And uh alternatively like sunrise like is there somewhere that's open is if i'm getting you up for a four o'clock to five o'clock to six o'clock a.m sunrise at 601 you want a coffee and like a bagel i guarantee you so is there a place open that's close by where i can bring 15 plus people uh they can use the bathroom and get something to eat you know what i mean because that that some people are okay with it being really adventurous and really sort of you just it is what it is and we're here to get the shot and then some people are looking for you know an experience and uh you you kind of have to play both sides of that so definitely 
I do a lot of planning and I use a lot of the apps and the tools to make sure people can get those shots that they've been dreaming about and they see on the internet. But there's also a lot of planning that goes into making sure that people don't have to think about where the next bathroom break is, or I've been hungry for four hours. When are we going to eat? That kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 The planning thing is, is really interesting to talk about because I, there's, there's a mix of the whole serendipity thing of, Hey, I got this amazing camera and these lenses and I got, you know, at home, I've got a great computer with Lightroom or, you know, Photoshop, Luminar, Capture One, whatever on it. I'm just going to go throw myself into this area, this amazing area like Yosemite or something, take some pictures and then bring them back and, and develop greatness. Right. And I think that's that's a mindset in a lot of photographers. I'm, I'm, and I'm I'm not a landscape photographer, an outdoor photographer, so I'm stretching. I'm hoping you can add some logic to that. But I think a lot of photographers that are not at your level kind of maybe think in that direction and then come back with shots that aren't what they thought they were going to get and then get disappointed and say, yeah, well, I'm just not a good photographer. When if they just add that planning piece to the beginning and research and go out there on a mission to capture that elusive photo with a little bit of background on there, then you know they increase their chances of success would you would you agree with that uh, yeah 100 percent. planning is more important than gear and more important than you know uh, almost anything for when you're really looking for those like one in a million shots all of those shots you see on people's websites and on instagram with the great light uh I would imagine that less than 1% are just like serendipity. You just go out and the light happens to be kicking off. And if it is, again, it's probably because somebody's just been going out to that location over and over and over again. Uh, and maybe they're not planning, but they're just persistent. And eventually you're going to get good light and good conditions. Uh, but otherwise, the rest of us are really, yeah, plan you're planning a lot. Um, so I would say like, as to your point about being an outdoor and landscape photographer uh, versus like, you know, maybe something that's a little more controlled indoor mm -hmm. portrait studio type stuff. You really do you, cause you can't, you have so much that's out of your control that if you're not willing to put time, patience and planning into the equation, then your chances in, of success, your hit rate is going way, way down. Uh, so you better really just enjoy being outside cause you're probably going to be disappointed with the photos you get. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's the thing. I think that's a, if you take one thing, folks, you take one thing out of this, this discussion, I think the planning piece of it, I think even, even for all genres of photography, right? If you kind of have an idea of what you want to shoot, even if it's a portrait, yeah. you, you know, planning and measure your light and, you know, I kind of want to do this kind of lighting and all that stuff before your, your subject shows up. And then you could play around with that. Then the ser then you leave room for serendipity at the end yeah. of that. If, right? hundred. Yeah. I mean, so every time uh, there's one thing to be doing personal work and sometimes it's nice just to head out with your camera and see where life takes you. And I love doing that because honestly, sometimes planning, you know, your expectations get up there and then it doesn't work out. And you're like, well, that was a waste of, you know, a road trip and 12 hours standing in the dark. And it never really is a waste, right? You just have to change the way you think about it. So sometimes it is nice just to head out with no expectations. But I will say that, um, you know, since I've been taking studio work more seriously and, and, and trying it a lot more and playing with, and even just uh, the character portraits, like building a character and a backstory and a world where this person belongs, like on location, I've been, you know, dabbling in that a whole lot more the last two or three years. And the amount like 
the difference it makes to your photo when you consider just all the small details that add up, you know, hair, makeup, wardrobe, costuming, uh, those little tiny details that are just going to like elevate everything up to the next step. It's, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's comparable to the outdoor world with, you know, planning where the Milky Way is going to be with that lighthouse for the peak moonrise for blah, blah, blah. And you, you really see how it pays off, you know, the difference between somebody who just invited a friend over to the studio uh, with no plan and uh, said, you know, just wear whatever you're going to wear and mm-hmm. we'll try to make you into a wizard uh, versus researching, you know, the outfit you want, talking to people that can put that kind of outfit in your hands, uh, figuring out, you know, the kind of model potentially that you want to work with that has that look and then, you know, shopping around and yeah, all that before you even take one picture is going to already put you in a different different place. Yeah, and if you if you back that even further cuz we know some compositing photographers that that will go out they'll already have the shot in their head of what they're trying to build and then go out and capture assets to composite that together. Like I want to build an I would need yeah. a wizard standing in uh, an old you know, mystical looking forest and there's fog and then there's this and that. And then they go capture those things and then put them, put them together. But they're beginning with the end in mind. I think that's the takeaway, right? Kind of, kind of begin with the end in mind as best you can, but then have the skill to fill in the gaps for unforeseen circumstances. Right. Definitely. Even the commercial work, like the, the, like I was talking about with like the, the hunters and stuff in the North, um, there's so much of that that's out of my control. You know, if I'm going to go out and follow a seal hunter, I can't, when he's standing over a hole, like a breathing hole for a seal or something like that, I can't be next to him because if I make a sound, that thing is out of there. So I'm, you know, 500, 800 meters away from him. I have no control over the situation. But um, I, I still storyboard all the shots that I want to get. And I still think about how I want those to look and talk with the the hunter themselves and anybody else that's there with me that can potentially help make that happen and how we can like work within uh the reality and the the practical nature of what we're there to document and capture with Mm -hmm. because we don't want to fake it and force it in any way but we still want to guide i guess the uh the visuals a little bit so Mm -hmm. even in that situation i try to storyboard and sketch out like little ideas you know of what we potentially could go for because mm-hmm. the worst thing in the world in those situations is to be to be standing there it's cold you know everybody's on a schedule and you as the photographer you know they're all looking to you and you're like i i got nothing you know in those moments because a lot of it you're out there and just stuff happens and you just react and you are yeah. literally just it's kind of like street photography at that point you're just documenting or photojournalism a little bit um but then there are other moments where everybody's done what they were going to do for the day. The light is perfect. You know, people are in a good mood. We just ate that kind of thing. Hey, you want to try one of those cool shots I was talking about where we do like light painting under the Northern lights or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which you wouldn't normally, like I'm not going to interrupt an actual uh, hunter or fisherman while they work to say, can you take an hour to like, let me play with this like really cool photo. You don't understand. It's going to be great. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. but you still want to have that photo in mind. You, you know, you're going on this trip thinking, if there's a moment, if I get that opportunity, this is my bucket list. I got five shots I want to nail. Right. 
That's the thing. Yeah. Having that bucket list. I think, yeah, you hit it right in the head. It's, it, that if I'm taking a, I'm taking a bunch of things away from this interview, but the idea of the storyboard. Right. And having having the idea of these. If I come away with these five shots, then I've succeeded. Anything else is cake, you know, or icing on the cake. But if I get these five shots and then researching each one of those five shots and making sure that you have the right gear to get those five shots, right? Like for example, yeah. one of the shots that you wanna get might be, hey, I want this iconic wide angle shot of sled dogs coming into the frame with the lead dog here, and then the rest of them going off into the back of the frame, and then the, you know, the vista behind them. I want that shot. I want that, you, I want that shot too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you want that shot, so then you make sure that you have the proper gear to get that shot when you go out there, and then you can check it off the list. That's, you know, it's it's almost like photojournalism, right? Because you're when you're going out there, you're telling instead of going out there, like you said, and just saying, hey, I'm a great photographer. I can, you know, I'm Rumpelstiltskin. I can weave straw into gold. Just put me into the situation. I can make stuff happen. You're going in saying I have a plan and this is the storyline that I want to follow. You know, maybe it's about the hunter, you know, the hunter. This is what happens in the morning. This is the hunter making his morning beverage. This is the hunter dressing. This is the hunter going out. This is the hunter after the, you know, the catch and and then the yeah. whole the story from beginning to end. If you don't know what you're doing, then you're just I think you're just following along and documenting, right? You don't know yeah. what's going to happen. So you're just there with your camera taking pictures of interesting things as they unfold, right? Yeah. And and a lot of times you're in the way. Like if you're yeah. doing that, like the, the, the less you know about the what's happening, like what their plan is, what their intentions are, and the less you communicate what your intentions are, like the more likely you're probably going to be a burden or a hindrance. Yeah. Um, because you're going to be you're going to be struggling to get these shots that you have in your head, but you can't. Re I mean, you can't really uh, shoehorn them, I guess, uh, into the the practical nature of what's going on. So, definitely helps to be flexible. And I mean, experience goes a long way. Obviously, like we started this conversation about how a lot of times people will hire me because um, if I go out with these hunters and I don't get good shots the first two and a half, three days of a seven or six day trip. Um, I'm not going to necessarily, you know, consider that a failure because I know what I'm doing is I'm building up a little bit of credibility with the, with the hunters We're we're, you know, we're easing into things. I'm watching and documenting the whole time. And I, maybe I'm not getting many good shots that I like, but I'm understanding what he's doing, the process, you know, what, what it is that they do. And then, I'm much more comfortable and confident. And this is sort of planning as well. You're just strategically using your time differently instead of going and just like spray and pray um, and, and sort of being in the way and kind of annoying. You're sitting back and you're taking your time and you're watching it unfold. And then, you know, on the third day, I can go and say, hey, you know, I noticed that this is what you do. Do you mind if I stand here? Sun's really nice. I'm going to get like the sun kind of behind you. Just as you do that, do you mind if, you know, you kind of just make that motion a couple of times or whatever? And they're like, oh, yeah, of course, that's fine. Right. Um, but because it's because I was out there and I was watching and I saw, OK, this this will work, this landscape, this shot. Now, true, sometimes you only get really good light one day in six or seven. So you yeah. kind of have to like then sometimes it's a little more. <laughs> Yeah, freak it. It's a little more free. You know, if you get your only good day of light on the first day you show up, that's often 
it's a nice way to start a trip, but it's a little terrifying as a photographer. Yeah, yeah, so much there. There's so much there, and it, it, it just you know it's fascinating. There's the planning piece of it, and then when we when you think about it from an educational standpoint, right? So if you and you tell me if I'm on on track with this, if you approach an assignment as an educational opportunity, like for example, you know coming coming out of the the, the, tr the tundra, the frozen tundra and back into civilization. If you say as a photographer, you know, I live in this small town as I do. And d in our quote downtown, there's a tattoo parlor, right? And I think, mm -hmm. you know what? I want to do a story about, you know, but not many people know about what goes into creating tattoos and the pluses and minuses of them and how it all goes down. I want to do a story about that and, and get educated about that. So you start studying up on tattoos and how that happens and what's good, what's bad. <clears throat> excuse me, what are current trends in the industry, the tattooing industry and all that. Then you go approach a tattoo artist and have that conversation with them. Hey, I'm a photographer and I'd like to kind of document what you do and kind of illustrate photographically what it takes to create this world-class art on skin, you know, what it looks like. And then you, like you said, Curtis, you go in with a, the five shots or whatever that it takes to tell the story that you feel like you want to get to illustrate it and then schedule it and execute. Right. Is that, yeah. is that a fair way to look that's, at it? That's a hundred percent it. That, that is it. Like it's, it's not, it's not, the difficulty isn't in the, you know, technically, how does this happen? The difficulty oftentimes is thinking that we can't do this, right? Like, or thinking that we're not good enough to do this or to approach somebody like a tattoo artist and, and burden them with our art project or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes that's the, that's the part, you know, that frame of mind is the hard part to get over, but like ex executing it is as simple as doing a little bit of research, doing your homework. So you don't just walk into something completely not understanding the situation. Cause that is often, you know, nobody, some people like, just talking about what they do. But for the most part, if you're going to ask to spend multiple days with somebody and document what they do, it's nice to have a little bit of, you know, a history and a, a, a bit of background on what all that is. And um, so that you're both more comfortable. Uh, and then, yeah, it's about approaching people, the people you think that might be open to it and being okay to rejection, you know, because a lot mm -hmm. of people are not going to be open to it. But once you find that one person, it's, it's the second big hurdle then, which is, okay, I said I was going to do this and I asked somebody and they said they were going to do this. Now I actually have to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that's the second hard part is actually fulfilling, like being, you know, um, and I don't know if it's the right word or not, but being brave enough, I guess, to actually do what you said at that point, taking a chance because now you have other people involved. Other people are expecting something. Uh, and it's your idea, right? You're not assisting. You're not just showing up and spontaneously capturing something, which is a lot easier, you know, to say, oh, I didn't get anything, um, but I wasn't really there with any intention. So it's no mm -hmm. big deal versus like, I have a really good idea that I'd love to try. And I found somebody that wants to do it with me. And now we're going to do it together. All of a sudden that feels a lot heavier, right? Like that, that's yeah. a scarier proposition. It's exciting, but it also can be a bit scary. So like, um, it's important to acknowledge that all that's going on. Uh, but like I said, that's the hard part is still up in your head, right? Like technically on paper, it's sketch down some ideas, do a little research, find some people that might be willing to do it and then show up and play, you know, just take photos and, uh, 
it doesn't have to go anywhere after that. It, you, mm-hmm. you don't have to publish it or put it in a gallery or whatever. It can just be for yourself. Or maybe you can start exploring all those other worlds of publishing work and printing and getting shows and doing talks about it, whatever, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. who knows where it can go? But it's all baby steps. Uh, but I find in, in my experience anyway, I can only speak for me, is that it's usually a frame of mind that's often the roadblock, not the actual procedure or process yeah that's hard yeah yeah it's yeah it's it's really interesting from the from the standpoint of you know education breaking barriers and kind of getting over yourself of hey i want to do this thing and this you know we talk about on this week in photo a lot the the camera as being the passport into worlds that you wouldn't ordinarily have access to without your you know your mirrorless or dslr superpowers right so you can use it and, and as an excuse, like I said, in the, in the case of the tattoo parlor, maybe I would never have gone into that tattoo parlor, parlor but now I have a passport and a reason to go in there. Or if I want to go, yeah. there's this, there's this, uh, this old looking kind of junkyardy area that looks super interesting in, our, in the area of, of our community. Never have a reason to go in there, right? Of course, but now I have a reason. Like, okay, I'm going to go in there because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a photo story about why this thing is there and why it's, you know, why, why does Fred Sanford live in my community? Right. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. The other, the other side of that coin is, you know, people, myself included, will be guilty of saying, you know what, if, if you give yourself permission to be experimental with things, then it lowers the barrier, you know, and, and the permission to fail, then it lowers yeah. the barrier to, to you starting something and i think it's it's yeah. the other side of that coin like if you want to give it like you said wait and say okay now i'm committed to doing this and this person that is giving me their time to uh allow me to photograph them and now i gotta i kind of gotta produce something even if i haven't promised i kind of i'm on the hook there yeah. versus saying yeah i'm just gonna approach it as an experiment it could suck it doesn't matter if it sucks because it's just an experiment and it's it's disposable anyway so there's there's that middle ground i think i think what you're saying makes more sense right to put more weight on it and yeah sure you, it may not go anywhere but if you approach it from the mindset of yeah uh you know i'm committed to this i'm going to do the best damn job that i can do at this and if it doesn't look great at least i learned and i made some new connections and learned a little bit about that area of life that i had no idea about before right yeah 100 percent. i mean it's i think like one of the biggest things to learn for me was to detach to put like intention and ego in different lanes right so intention and purpose is super important i think you do have to own it what you're doing and and try your best if you if if it is something you want to actually do well at if you want to like improve um just showing up and taking your camera out and getting lucky can only get you so far like at a certain point you do have to plan you have to schedule and you have to have the intention and the you know the willpower to kind of like see it through and if you're going to go through all that trouble then you might as well try to do a good job and own sort of that that weight a little bit, that responsibility. But that doesn't mean it has to be scary or it doesn't mean that your career is wrapped up in it uh, or it doesn't mean that if it doesn't work, the world is going to forget about you or shun you or blow you up online. So that's where you have to detach the ego from like that intention. Like it's, it really doesn't matter. Like it, it matters in that you think you're growing and you're trying new things and it's fun and you're being creative and you're exploring, right? And, and you're trying to put 
new new things out into the world that you care about all of that part matters but after that um you know it, it doesn't like it's not it's not really that big a deal if it doesn't work out it's just it's it doesn't always feel that way obviously you know um we're all guilty of caring too much about something to the point of you know not doing it in the first place yeah so it's finding that balance where you care enough to really do a you know a fine job or your best job but not so much that you you know don't don't show up to do do the work or you find a way to get out of it or whatever yeah and it's it's it yeah, it could go all the way to like, you know, we're using the example of the tattoo parlor or whatever. Um, but it could be something as quote mundane as, you know what, I'm going to do a photo story on us putting up the Christmas tree, you know, and yeah. what it takes to put up that Christmas tree and what different ornaments mean to us. And, you know, and I'm going to commemorate, I'm going to come out with a set of photographs. I'm going to storyboard what the photographs need to look like. And I'm going to shoot each one of those photographs and then use my, you know, I'm going to use serendipity to get the shots around that, but I'm going to make sure I get those photos and edit them and then produce them and make it into make it into a little project. Um, you know, I'm gonna, as we round out this hour here, I want to, you know, kind of push this into the future a little bit and see what you think about multimedia and where things might be going. You mentioned drones and all that. Sure. Different ways of capturing photos, but different ways of telling stories using available media like audio and video and and things like that i can't imagine i can imagine some of the photos that you take i'd love to have a soundscape behind it you know yeah. even if i'm just looking at the photo just to hear that wind blowing and dogs dogs barking and you know whatever it felt like to put me more into the photo have you ever considered adding that multimedia aspect to your work Definitely. This, I mean, the pandemic year for me has been uh, a pretty big learning curve in the world of video. I didn't really do much video before uh, 2019, and uh, I've really sort of been diving a little more deeply into it, and I quite enjoy it. I love adding uh, the motion element to a lot of the storytelling, uh, so that's been a big thing. Uh, and along with video, then obviously comes audio and uh, learning a lot more about just capturing sounds um to add to your your video edit after the fact instead of just capturing everything in camera you know the idea of actually going out and getting snow blowing uh across uh frozen ice or whatever or the sound i'll just go out to the dog yard and and just do audio of the dogs howling or whatever Mm -hmm. um so for sure like that's definitely uh, something that i've been playing a lot more with this last uh year and a bit and i'm enjoying it uh tons but on top of that, like I've also been playing with, um, for me, I, I kind of have a few ideas uh, in that world, like sort of that polar world, Arctic world and environment. A lot of the work that I've already done and work that I'm trying to create, work that I'm storyboarding out as we speak to sort of, you know, to create. And uh, my, my dream is to be able to showcase it in some way, whether it's online or in person or both, I'm not sure, but it's to showcase it as multimedia. Like I want short uh, video components and I want, uh, still imagery, you know, like classic black and white frames, but also like, you know, an audio experience that kind of like plays along with it. And if there's a way to combine that, my, my, I I really love, um, I mean, I'm not going to do podcasts and things, but I really do love the idea of, of interviewing people and their stories and their words as they Mm -hmm. speak, uh, like overlaying my images or my video and things like that. Yeah. Um, music, music's been a big thing for me, like not playing it so much, 
but just like exploring sound libraries. I've got like this year, I've, I had like four subscriptions to online sound libraries where I just, <laughs> you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this music, but I love just going in. I can spend hours just like listening to short 30 second or minute and a half clips and then, you know, putting, putting together slideshows where the music and the photos work really well together and then adding in that element of video as well um, to just create, you know, these 45 second or two minute vignettes of an experience, uh, whether it's the Christmas tree or a tattoo parlor. I mean, if you can make a story, a photo story out of it, you can probably make a multimedia story out of it, right? So mm-hmm. um, definitely think that as far as the future goes, uh, it never hurts to have more bags, uh, more tricks in your bag, I guess. Um, yeah, more bags too. So more bags, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have far too many bags. Actually, I'm, I'm shopping around for bags now and that's probably why that came out but uh, don't, don't ask me to open that closet back there behind yeah. me man it's just full of bags <laughs> uh, you should see you should see the field uh you know the uh field uh, operation we did on my my current bag uh one of these arctic trips it's just anyways the whole thing got like hand sewn back together in the middle <laughs> of the night and uh yeah, you know something. wait before we end this we got thank you for reminding me of that because uh, a, a little bird told me that you've been you've been uh, uncharacteristically hard on your gear, or your gear has been hard on you over the past month or so. What, yeah, apparently you've been introducing Canon cameras to rocks or something, and the rocks keep winning. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's uncharacteristic, but it definitely. I have a, a an ongoing history with uh, pushing my gear to the limits, and I. I've, I've said this before in other places, but my, my camera gear, I kind of, I buy my gear and I use it like I buy boots and, you know, I want my boots to, to work when I need yep. them to work and they're, and they're going to work as hard as I work. So the camera gear is no different. And I try not to be intentionally hard on this stuff. I'm not flippant with the gear. I don't throw it around, but you know, gravity. if I'm, <laughs> if I'm going to lie in front of a, a team of dogs, then the camera's going to lie in front of a team of dogs and you know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I'll try it. You know, I'll try to keep it out of the way if possible. But yeah, recently, um, I've had a couple moments, I guess, or or, or more negative experiences with uh, the wind. The, the the one that I think you're alluding to, uh, I got to say, was just a bad set of choices on my part. I I was going. I had spent a couple evenings going out trying to capture some video for YouTube. Uh, of a sunset photography, um, but I couldn't get my tripod. My tripod was broken. I broke the tripod. So that's the start of the story uh, <laughs> earlier. So I'm using a broken tripod and I don't really trust it. And so I don't want to lose like a break the lens and the camera to do the video. So I go, okay, you know, while I'm waiting for the parts to come in for this broken tripod, I'll use my old tripod. But the reason I have the old tripod, the reason why I have the new tripod is to replace the old one because the old one I didn't trust. Um, so I'm already making bad choices right yes i'm I'm taking the old one out of storage uh, questionable spare tire (laughs) yeah it's not gonna do what i wanted to do so i take it out on a second night with the old new tripod and um, i i set it up and i see it tipping and i'm running there's footage of me running back to get the camera and i catch it just in time i'm like oh okay yeah that's good lesson right there like i knew this was gonna happen uh but then like you know, a lot of experiences outside, the suns get a little lower and the colors start to pop. And, you know, I forget all about the fact that the thing almost rolled down a cliff into the ocean. 
and I set it up again and I walk away to do like some video and I get all excited and wrapped up in the, the, the sunset just to turn around and see, you know, this tripod that I had no business trusting topple over. Oh. Uh, and my camera and my lens basically, you know, this beautiful singular unit to become two oh. uh, without my gentle touch. It was just a, a smash into the rock that uh, dislocated the lens from the body. Um, so that thing is in uh, for repair, if possible, right now. Oh. That's the third 16 to, 16 to 35 2.8 that I've kind of uh, put through the paces. Um, the first one, apparently, though. So here's here's some well the first one is a write-off that's a paperweight the yep. second one i destroyed in antarctica but i only messed up the front the this one recently last week i've really only messed up the back so i think there's a way to frankenstein number one and uh, number two and number three to make a like a one lens like a like a see event. that that ladies and gentlemen is a real photographer right there you see that <laughs> just, by any means necessary i'm gonna get the shot and damn yeah. the gear right but see with your with your you know your description of laying in front of sled dogs and you know just to get the shot sure i understand that but camera gear doesn't have the power of healing that you do curtis so you can you can take yeah. a beating and then you know given a couple of months or so you could probably be good as new not so much for the gear it has to be replaced so you gotta, yeah, you gotta no. hedge your bets you you make some very good points yeah healing <laughs> healing healing is the is the factor there um you have to be a little more uh i think i have to be a little more forgiving with the gear Yes. Yeah. Or not. Or not. Because the, the, it's all about the shots and your shots prove that whatever you're doing is working. So keep doing it. Um, <laughs> if, if people want to connect with you, you know, sign up for workshops, go to your website or dialogue with you. What are what are the best ways to get in touch? Yeah. Uh, so I'm easily found on Instagram. That's a really quick and easy way uh, to find me. See uh, uh, Jones photo on Instagram or my website, CurtisJonesPhoto.com. And uh, yeah, and then, then we have our Newfoundland workshops, a dedicated uh, website to Newfoundland workshops at newfoundshores.com. But anyway, you find me, if you find me on Messenger, if you uh, somehow got my, uh, my phone number off the internet, um, I'm really easy to access. And, uh, you know, I like talking about this stuff to anybody who wants to listen. So reach Excellent. out. Excellent. Yeah. Curtis Jones, thank you. Thank you once again for coming on. You always, I always learn a ton. Like my brain is still spinning about this, you know, the epiphany of, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I knew it, right? But still to hear someone that is actually going out there doing it and, and creating the shot list and executing on it and then bringing back the images, it's, it's not just Curtis Jones buying a ticket and going out there with his awesome camera gear and the images just images just magically present themselves. You're doing homework and then executing yeah. on that homework, right? Oh, all the time, for sure. Yeah. And I, yeah. and, I, and like I started that other way, right? And it but it only gets you so far. So Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Cool. Well we'll leave it right there. Curtis Jones, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate you. Thank you. I had fun. This is Twitter.